You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday Saturday. with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. That's right. You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday. Big voice guy said it so you know it's true. He is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. If you missed any of that first hour, download the podcast, 710sports.com. Also, a big shout-out to Graz for joining us at 1030 today. If you missed that conversation, podcast page is where you want to go. But coming up in this hour, we're going to take a look around the NFL, some of the biggest headlines, including Taylor. Unfortunately, your boy, Gardner Minshew, he could be on the shelf here for a while. I know. The mustache magic may have run out in Jacksonville, and I'm not ready, Curtis. My heart, my soul, my body, they're not ready for this moment. (laughs) Gardner Minshew is to you what Nick Foles is to me, where we're going to root for that guy no matter what, regardless Mm -hmm. of what people may say about him. Uh, but yeah, maybe he could rub his mustache on that right thumb of his because uh, he's going to need some. He's going to need some quick, quick healing if he wants to make it back. Uh, but that's coming up in NFL headlines about 15 minutes from now, and then we're going to give you our keys to the game. Uh, that's going to be at 11:30. Seahawks 49ers tomorrow. I mean, it, it's so weird how the injuries in that game have sort of. Uh, taken precedent over what the rivalry means over the the race in the NFC West. I, I mean, this is a five and one Seahawks team going up against a last place 49ers team, but last place in the NFC West could still mean a playoff spot now that there are seven teams from each conference that gets in. Uh, I mean, sheesh, the NFC West is just it is brutal this year. Yeah, and I know bold take Friday, trademark, you know, that was yesterday, Tom, Jake, and Stacey, trademark, we will send the check, checks in the mail, but my bold take is, I think at the last week of the season, the fourth place team in the NFC West will be playing for for a playoff spot, that they will truly be in the thick of the playoff hunt, if not controlling their own, maybe, destiny to get that last spot, because this division is so good. The, the we haven't even talked about the Rams one bit as, as when we've been back. I know. And the Cardinals game last week was scary. I'm scared for this Niners game. I'm scared for the Rams game. Then we do it all over again a couple a couple times. So it's just like this is a big crucial part for the season. If the Seahawks can bend and not break, that I think they can truly be in play for one of those top seeds in the NFC this season. But this is a crucial stretch, right? you got a couple divisional games. The Bills coming up as well. They look like a tough matchup. So it'll be really interesting this next few weeks. And then you get the Cardinals uh, you know, in the middle of November again. So you get your redemption match quickly after that OT loss. I'm ready. I'm excited. This is it. This is what you want, right? You get so many great games with the Seahawks. They're all entertaining. And now we get more. We get some good games. Let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Some NBA news. Our friend from up north, Steve Nash, reuniting with his good friend, Mike D'Antoni, the player and coach that helped revolutionize NBA offense and touching the ball for barely a second, it felt like. They're being reunited in Brooklyn, as D'Antoni announced as one of the assistants under Steve Nash this upcoming season. Some other coaching news to replace Mike D'Antoni there in Houston. Steven Silas will be the head coach down there, announced on Friday officially. 76ers also looking to maybe change things up and bring in a former Houston Rocket as uh, GM Daryl Morey, according to Woj and Shams. 
uh, are is apparently in uh, deep talks with the 76ers about becoming a uh, I don't know what his official role would be. It's like president of basketball operations. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So we'll Sorry. see what they what they sort of skew his title to be um, there potentially in Philly. And then the NBA and its players agreeing on Friday to extend the deadline for opting out of the collective bargaining agreement by one week. So they got an extra week until November 6th to talk about all of those issues as COVID continues to have an impact on the NBA. Number two. Well, the long wait is over. For the first time in nearly three weeks, the city of L.A. has won a title. The Dodgers clinched the World Series in Game 6, thanks in large part to Tampa Bay's decision to play the percentages rather than ride out the left arm of ace Blake Snell. It's a choice that will likely haunt the Rays and manager Kevin Cash until their next title chase. As for the Dodgers, it was the culmination of a four-year stretch that saw them fall short in agonizing fashion each of the previous three seasons, losing the World Series to the Astros, the Red Sox, and then losing in the first round of the Washington Nationals. All three teams eventually becoming world champions along the way. Future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw finally getting that elusive World Series ring. It was the weirdest Major League Baseball season ever, and in almost poetic fashion, the final game was impacted by COVID nineteen, with Dodgers third baseman testing D- Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner testing positive mid game. The season's over, so now everyone can breathe a sigh of relief. Just make sure you're doing that with a mask on. Number three. Well, college football. Seemingly continues to roll on despite numerous positive COVID tests at the college ranks, including 22 members of the Wisconsin team and coaching staff, as well as most likely the number one overall pick in next next year's NFL draft. Clemson's quarterback Trevor Lawrence testing positive. Wisconsin's game today against Nebraska canceled. Meanwhile, Nebraska tried to schedule an FCS-level Chattanooga game to sort of get in there. Big Ten saying, eh eh, not happening. So no game for them as well. As for the games being played, Mike Leach's uh, MSU Mississippi State Bulldogs traveling to Tuscaloosa to face Alabama. Who knows what Mike Leach team will show up there? That's sort of what you get with Mike Leach. Ohio State going on the road to battle Penn State. That's a battle between number three and number 18. And number 13, Michigan, hosting their in-state rival, Michigan State, later on today. But the big news scoreboard watching here for college football. In the third quarter, Clemson, number one team in the country, trailing Boston College 28-13. to Yikes. So no Trevor Lawrence and a, uh, a two-score deficit. Not good there for the Clemson Tigers going up against Boston College. 4-2, not a bad team either, but uh, crazy stuff in college football. We haven't even gotten to the Pac-12 yet. We haven't even gotten to uh, the games being played here. So stay tuned, folks. If you like college football, a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God, you mentioned the Pac-12. Pac-12 after dark. Uh, that gets going next week, so things could get even crazier in the college football world, especially if number one Clemson goes down to Boston College, lowly Boston College. I saw a stat today. 
after Boston College had scored 14 points in the first quarter. That was the first time they'd scored multiple touchdowns against Clemson since like 2015. Uh, So, I mean, it's, it's been some time since Boston College has been competitive against Clemson, let alone held a lead of this, of this magnitude. Um, Some honorable mentions in the world of baseball, a couple of controversial hires, Taylor. Uh, Let's, Mm -hmm. let's start in Detroit. Former Astros manager A.J. Hinch getting the managerial job with the Detroit Tigers, a team that is a far – they are far off uh, from being competitive. But, I mean, it's A.J. Hinch. He's got controversy tied to him from his time in Houston. What do you make of him getting another managerial job a year after his suspension? I'm not a fan, and I'm, I'm looking around in the NFL and Major League Baseball and these retreads and these these old coaches. To me, I, I want to take the risk now. I feel like I'm at the point in my sports fandom where it's worth a few years of not knowing to take the risk to potentially find someone who's the perfect fit. And I know I got grilled for saying Mike Leach and, and – you know, sort of turning on Mike Leach towards the end there and the inconsistency and not being able to to get ready or up or prepared for an Apple Cup, it seemed like. And, you know, A.J. Hinch has definitely worse issues off the field, but it just feels like this is a, a, a not what a move I would want to make if I was a Tiger fan. It feels like a, a terrible retread, and I'd rather go with a young, up-and-coming coach who could maybe excite some of these young guys down in the system and get, you know, in four to five years from now, have this team bought into whatever system that may be. I would rather go with that than AJ Hinch. You, you bring up retread. There may not be a bigger retread than hiring a seventy-six-year-old Hall of Famer to be oh. your your manager. Chicago White Sox going with Tony Larusa, who I can't imagine has much in common with guys like Tim Anderson and guys like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, guys who are twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two years old, and just. Full of personality, Larusa very much known around baseball as a guy who is not big into showing off your personality. Who's not really big into a, giving young players a chance to succeed. Uh, so I, I just I don't understand that hire. I do understand it though. Uh, when you look at who the White Sox owner is, that's Jerry Reinsdorf. And if you watched mm-hmm. any part of The Last Dance, you know how he meddles. You know how he gets in the way of a lot of things going on, a lot of good things going on. Uh, so that White Sox team right now, uh, you wonder how they're going to respond to this hire, especially with the great young core that they have. I mean, this would be the equivalent of, of the Mariners bringing back Lou Pinella, something like that, because Lou's about the same age as Tony Larusa. Uh, just a, a very big head-scratching move that not many people in baseball uh, were thrilled to see. Coming it's like up, the Dallas though, Cowboys hiring yeah. Mike McCarthy to be their head coach because their <laughs> owner starts to meddle, and oh, wait, they're the worst team in the NFL. Weird how that works out. Weird, weird. how that weird. works out. Coming up in this hour, we will give you the keys to the Seahawks going up against San Francisco. That's about 15 minutes from now. But up next, we'll take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines, including a debut that is going to have a big impact here in the NFC West tomorrow. That's next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Only good things come when this music's playing. That's why we're going around the NFL here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Plenty to get to as we're just, what, 72 hours away from the trade deadline? That's Tuesday. It feels like there's something more important going on on Tuesday. I can't really put my finger on it. Hopefully somebody will text that in with the Vizzyhard Seltzer text line. Uh, but, (laughs) But... Looking at some of the players that are being mentioned in trade rumors uh, the, in the days leading up to it, probably the biggest one, that would be Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore, the reigning defensive player of the year. Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated, he reported this week New England is listening to offers on him. But Gilmore getting banged up in practice this week uh, a little bit. I don't know if he's going to play or not on Sunday. Uh, he also listed his home. That's that's the move right now. Carlos mm-hmm. Dunlap did the same thing. He listed his home uh, in hopes of getting some offers before Tuesday's deadline. Taylor, Stephon Gilmore, really good player, but I would imagine the asking price is going to be astronomical for him. I'm thinking Jamal Adams' range. Is that somebody that you would shell all out for to get him midseason? I mean, look, the Seahawks don't have the horses. Let's just get that conversation out of the way. They don't have the pieces to go get Gilmore. Um, Yes, if I in a vacuum, the Seahawks had those draft picks or another team that I were to support. I only really support the Chiefs. They can't get them either. So uh, for that, I would try. I mean, I love the way he plays. I think he's a great DB. He's got a lot of good football left to play. And look, Bill Belichick coming out and saying on the record, which was wild, that you know some of their struggles are due to the cap issues. So could he be on the move so they can potentially try and rebuild through the draft and get some more of those young, controllable pieces, adding more draft picks? I think it makes sense for the Patriots. Look, if they lose this weekend, I would, I would be surprised if he's still in a Patriots uniform by the end of the week. That it would be truly shocking if they're out of this thing that they don't start to rebuild, quote-unquote re- rebuild. Um, but man, so far in the Tom Brady versus Belichick uh, race, Tom Brady's starting to uh, pace out ahead of Belichick for who won that breakup. Yeah, and Brady obviously still getting players to join him in Tampa Bay. Uh, Antonio Brown, he's going to be joining that team in a couple of weeks here once his suspension uh, winds up. But, yeah, you mentioned just the the divergent paths both New England and Tampa Bay are going on right now. Uh, You kind of wonder, you know, it's like who came first, the chicken or the egg? Who, Who helped? Who was the bigger reason for New England's success over the last couple of decades? Uh, I mean, obviously, Bill Belichick, a tremendous coach. He's going yes. to the Hall of Fame. He's probably the mm-hmm. greatest coach in NFL history. But to have the best quarterback in NFL history, that really was a combination that uh, New England fans, boy, they hit the, the sports lottery with that one for sure. Uh, also on the docket here, Gardner Minshew. Mm. Looks like he's headed to the bench for at least a couple of weeks. He has two fractures and a torn ligament in his right thumb, Jacksonville, on bye this week, so they don't really have to make any sort of move, put him on IR or anything like that. But this is a team that is now, what, 1-6? Minshew, you know, 
he's a he's a good quarterback, but can he be any better than what he is? And you look at the quarterback draft class that's coming here in 2021. It's not just Trevor Lawrence. It's Justin Fields of Ohio State. It's Trey Lance of North Dakota State. Those are three really good quarterbacks, Taylor. Do you think this could be the start of the end of Minshew, at least as the starter in Jacksonville? It could be, yeah. I think the only thing that keeps him sort of in this conversation and you got to take seriously is he has a C on that jersey, right? He was one of those captains. The coaching staff viewed him as a captain. I think a lot of the players viewed him as one of those captains that, you know, he has that attitude that's infectious. We saw it at Wazoo. You know, we're seeing it in the little bit of time that he's been playing at Jacksonville that these guys seem to buy in and he can lead them even with all of the holes that they have on this team, lead them down the field, score some points. You know, James Robinson is now one of the best running backs in the league and it looks like Gardner's helped him really get acclimated and the receivers have been great over the past few seasons. I would be nervous if I was Gardner that this could potentially be it, but the players still have his back. They're bought into him. I think that's going to help carry him probably through this whole season. But come draft time, if this team's got one of those top picks and one of those guys is there available at the top of the draft, they're going to really consider taking a quarterback. I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah, well, and also John Clayton mentioned this week that Doug Marone, Jacksonville's head coach, and their front office, they don't really have a reason to be going through a rebuild right now because they're on the hot seat. Like there's there's a very real chance that Doug Marone gets fired at the end of all this. I think Dave Caldwell's their GM. Uh, he he kind of wondered why aren't they going for it when they don't have a reason to rebuild here because I would imagine those guys are going to get fired. So it, it's strange to see Jacksonville just kind of say, you know what, we're pulling the plug on this mainly because their head coach and GM are going to be first to go once all of this this goes down. It's a very bizarre situation in Jacksonville. One spicy situation to watch out for. Oh, yes. In Cincinnati. Now, the Bengals, other than the Dunlap trade, they have very rarely made moves in the season involving trades. The, the most recent trade before the Dunlap trade to Seattle was Carson Palmer to Oakland back in 2011. And before that... You had to go all the way back to 1985, the last time the Bengals made an in-season trade. Well, John Ross, the former Husky receiver, we talked a little bit in this segment last week. Uh, He took to Twitter yesterday, and here is his exact quote, because he wants nothing to do with the Bengals right now. Uh, He says this, It's not a secret that I have requested a trade. Trade me if this is how y'all feel. I'm healthy and eager to play. I know I can be productive. It's hard to love something when you're not actually participating in it. Believe me, it's not football that I don't like. That is that is his exact quote on his Twitter account. Clearly putting the ball in Cincinnati's court. It's been a disappointing start to John Ross's career, that's for sure. He still has the blazing speed, the fastest 40 time ever recorded in league history. But Taylor, do you think there's any team out there that is going to to make a run at him, especially if Cincinnati doesn't get anything more than like a seventh-round draft pick? To me, I feel like at, at some point they may just cut him. Now it feels like teams are yeah. going to sort of do the waiting game where they, they almost dare the Bengals to cut him and to get him out of there so that he isn't this sort of disruption. And then they don't have to give up that seventh-round pick. They can get him on the cheap, on the low. So... 
I feel so bad for John Ross. He deserves a shot somewhere. You know, maybe I'm trying to think of some places that would even try and go for a young little speedster like this. You know, maybe the Chargers and you try and pair him up with Herbert or someone like that with a huge arm. Like team like Philly that's in need of, of receiver help. Yep, that another great example. One. Yeah, so I would love to see him not in Cincinnati and playing and actually making an impact on a team. Again, I probably I don't think it'll be here in Seattle. It may not even be in the NFC West, but I, I think John Ross deserves that shot just to see. Just we still haven't seen enough to, to make a decision. Yeah. One team I, I would I would not want to see him on is the one that the Seahawks are going to be playing tomorrow. Uh, and that's a team mm. that could use receiver help because no Debo Samuel, no Richie James Jr. Uh, they've they've got some needs at the wide receiver position. Uh, I don't want John Ross to end up in San Francisco. I'm just I feel bad for putting it out there because it might happen now that I've put put it out there, but uh, I don't want to see that at all. And then uh, sticking in the NFC West, the Rams take on the Dolphins tomorrow. And it's going to be a big day for Miami fans because Tua Tagovailoa, he makes his NFL starting debut. He made his debut a couple weeks ago against the Jets. But this one, going up against Aaron Donald and that uh, vaunted Rams defense right now, Ashawn Robinson also on that defensive line. How do you think it's going to go for Tua? Poorly. I think it's going to go poorly. I think it's too soon. I think they should have left Fitzmagic in there. And, and let him play at least four or five more games. Let Tua get more of those practice reps. Let him get up there fully healthy, fully confident, and, and play him against a patsy. Don't play him against the Rams. Don't let Aaron Donald be his first dance at the ball. Yikes. Ooh, That's going to – yeah, no thing. I don't even want that with Russell. And Russell may be the best quarterback in the league, so – Tua, I, I love the way he played in college. I, I would love to see him succeed at the pro level. I don't know if he's going to have the best debut. Look, I, I hope he does. Let's hope Miami goes in there and they put on a show and they, they embarrass the Rams and maybe show the, the Seahawks the, the blueprint to win. But the tough, tough ask for a first start. Yeah, and, and considering the weapons that Miami has on offense, they don't have much. And... When you're starting a young quarterback like that, you want to surround him with as many great players as possible. I think that's why Justin Herbert is succeeding in L.A. because you look at their mm-hmm. offense, their backfield, Austin Eckler, he's thrown to Keenan Allen. He's got, uh, what is it, Hunter Henry, the the tight end over there. Uh, Hunter Hurst Helmsley, as I like to call him. <laughs> uh, Triple H. Uh, yeah, but I think that's why Herbert's having success in L.A. because he's got so many guys to throw to. and. Uh, I don't think Tua has that luxury in Miami. That is going to uh, do it for this week's headlines as we head into week eight. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we are going to give you our shout-outs for the week. Text those in to the Busy Hard Seltzer text line 710-710. But before we get to our shout-outs, we're going to give you the keys to victory for the Seahawks against the San Francisco 49ers. That's here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get those shout-outs in to the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. Give you our shout-outs here on Seattle Sports Saturday in about 15 minutes from now. 
But this Seahawks 49ers game, Taylor, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, it's obviously big. Every game's big for the Seahawks right now as we enter the toughest stretch of their schedule. And each game amplifies as the weeks go on because next week they play a road game against a really tough team in the Bills. But before that, they got to play this 49ers team that has won two straight. And you look at what the 49ers do uh, on offense, that ground game, and just the Shanahan's and, and running backs, that is one of the great combos in NFL history. And it really doesn't matter who San Francisco puts out there uh, behind Jimmy Garoppolo because they're, they're going to get their yards. When you look at the 49ers ground game, how big will Seattle's defensive line need to step up on Sunday? I think that's the key, right? I think if you're able to stop the run game, it's hard for them to establish that pass, which has been, you know, the biggest glaring sort of mark on the Seahawks defense. So, Curtis, I would put that as the number one priority. You got to stop the run. This team, the San Francisco 49ers team, you're right. They're able to get their running backs into space. There's the sort of misdirections there's all of these it's almost like a wing t it isn't but it, it you have all of these types of plays that truly try to get your defenders in the wrong spot for them to take advantage of so the seahawks are going to have to play such disciplined football you know keep contain force it back inside those d tackles really need to have a great day stopping that run um, because if it gets to look like that vikings game it's going to be rough for the Seahawks team because the clock's going to be their biggest enemy if San Francisco is running the ball. They keep it, they're keeping Russell Wilson on that sideline. Um, it, I think the recipe for disaster starts with the San Francisco running game getting out and being a monster. Yeah, and they're going to have Jarek McKinnon likely being their lead back tomorrow. He's somebody that really hasn't played a lot over the last couple of seasons. I think he has just 50 snaps this season through the first uh, eight weeks or the first seven weeks of the season. But this is somebody that has been around the league for a while now. He played a lot back when he was with Minnesota. Um, Him and I think it was what Matt Asiata, somebody like that with the Vikings. Him and Jarek McKinnon were sort of in a timeshare running back situation uh, in Minnesota. Um, but also offensively for the for the 49ers, how do you think Seattle can have success or at least, I guess, an average day defensively against San Francisco? Is it truly does it truly come down to making Jimmy Garoppolo beat you? Because if it does, I think the Seahawks could be in a good position to win. Yeah, like we were just saying right there. The run game is out of it, and Jimmy Garoppolo's got to think. He's got to go through his reads. You know, he has to try and extend a play. For the Seahawks, that's where they can truly make some damage to this San Francisco team and hopefully get up on them by a few scores, right? So then that takes the running game out of it altogether, right? Then they're playing against the Seahawks and the clock, and they have to have Jimmy Garoppolo lead them to that victory with a banged-up receiving core. It's already depleted. You know, will Kittle be able to really get into that end zone? I think he only has two touchdowns on the year, 435 yards, but he's still their leading receiver. So, you know, can you limit Kittle? Can you limit some of these guys to make Garoppolo truly be the one to step up and beat you? 
that's the recipe for success. We just talked about the recipe for disaster. <laughs> if you're trying to win, that's where I'm starting. And I'm, I'm trying to get Jimmy Garoppolo to be the guy to have to beat this Seahawks team because he's more of a, I'll take a, a Paul Gallant term, a, a wobbleopolo. That's what the balls looked like coming out of his hand. You and, sure about uh, that? You, you sure you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't yeah, looked good. I, I think, like that, like no. that joke. <laughs> Yeah, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback that is eminently beatable. If you can get him to be sort of the reason for San Francisco's either success or failure in a game, you're doing the right thing defensively against San Francisco because it means you're containing their run game. Uh, I mean, Raheem Mostert was a practice squad guy for the majority of his career up until last season, and then Kyle Shanahan plucks him into the lineup, and and all of a sudden he's running for 200 yards in the NFC Divisional round a year ago. He's one of the best running backs to start this season. He's over, what, 300 yards or so already. It's a plug-and-play type offense. Jeff Wilson Jr., a week ago, over 100 yards and three touchdowns. It, it does not matter who is in that backfield for San Francisco because they're going to get their yardage one way or another. So I think if the Seahawks can really clamp down on that, and one person that I think is going to be a huge difference maker is somebody who's going to be making their Seattle debut tomorrow, and that's Snacks Harrison, who is mm. one of the best run stuffers in the NFL. 2018 Pro Football Focus had him rated as the best run stuffer in all of the NFL. Uh, That was just two seasons ago. And last year, he was playing in Detroit, unmotivated, uh, said that he was gaining weight on purpose so that the Lions would get rid of him. Uh, That's exactly what happened. Another disgruntled player, sort of along the lines of, of what Pete and John have done. We talked about that earlier in the show. I think Snacks Harrison, his impact of the game, whether or not he plays you know, half the snaps, a quarter of the snaps when he is in there. And I think he's going to be in there in obvious run situations. Uh, that's going to be a huge, huge thing to watch for. Uh, no, no pun intended, obviously, because he is built like a, a brick house. Uh, but that's going to be a huge thing to watch for tomorrow. Yeah. And Curtis, if the, if the, the Seahawks can stop that run and snacks has that impact and Garoppolo has to beat you and he can't, and they lose this they lose this game they go to 4 and 4 you look at their next four games after this versus the packers versus the saints versus the rams versus the bills this team could go on a big slide if they don't get this win get some confidence in themselves yes they got the win over the patriots last week in in big fashion and they had the win over the rams but for the niners you got to be thinking we need this win it's not a it's hard to say must win, and every game in the NFL is must win. But to be four and four with those four games approaching you, San Francisco might be desperate to get this game, and the Seahawks are need to be desperate to not lose this game and drop another divisional game, go to zero and two in the division, and it's going to be such a close race. This buckle up. This is going to be a heavyweight fight. Both teams playing for a big victory, and it, it feels like the Seahawks are in a great position to to dictate some of these things if the defense is able to slow the run game a little bit. So, buckle up. This is going to be a fun yeah. one. One key that you put down, Taylor, mm. is 
the Seahawks in the red zone. And last week yep. they had the two red zone interceptions, uh, Buda Baker and then Patrick Peterson both picking off Russell Wilson in the end zone or at least like you know a yard away from the end zone. How important is it for the Seahawks tomorrow to cash in on those opportunities, especially with how their defense is playing? Look, it, it is really important, and I don't want to minimize saying <laughs> what I'm going to say next has no bearing on when they get into the red zone, they shouldn't score or anything like that. But if the Seahawks convert on a third and two run, Russell still has those interceptions and they still win the game at this point. It feels like Russell can still make some of these mistakes and is still good enough to overcome them and lead his team back to be in this game. So he is so magical and and watching Thursday night football these past weeks and watching some of these other games over the past few weeks and seeing other quarterbacks who aren't named Russell Wilson or maybe even just Patrick Mahomes. There is such a difference, and he is such a special player that, yes, he made some mistakes in the red zone, but they, they almost didn't cost them, and they almost still were able to come away with that Cardinals game with a W in spite, or in, in spite of all of those things. So, yes, he's got to be better, but I'm not that worried about it, and I still think in the season of letting Russell cook, he's going to cut himself, he's going to burn himself, but he's still going to make those delicious recipes. Yes, his his fingerprints might be all smudged and burned off by the end of the season with a few mistakes, but you know the the beef Wellington's going to come out perfect, and Gordon Ramsay's going to go absolutely amazing. <laughs> or it's going to be like uh, on Chopped when you're handed those secret ingredients, you don't know what 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 it is. Uh, sometimes you fumble it up, but you got to get past that and you got to you know they say risotto's the toughest thing to make on a cooking show but yep. uh, russ has got to keep it stirring russ has got to keep it stirring uh coming up next we wrap it up here on seattle sports saturday as we do every single saturday at 11:45 it's time for your shout outs text those into the busy heart seltzer text line we'll give you ours we'll read yours right here on 710 espn seattle Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Time for your shout outs here on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. Plenty of programming coming your way later on here today on 710 ESPN Seattle. All local, all day long. Uh, we've got the golf show with Jim Moore and Sean Crew coming up next. Also, Cougar Football Saturday. Uh, from mm-hmm. 1 to 3, and then you're going to hear a rebroadcast of The Huddle and of Hawks Live later tonight. So uh, so much, so much coming your way here on this Saturday. It's Halloween, by the way, which brings us to this first shout-out from the 360. Rainbow and I shout-out cheap candy tomorrow. Absolutely. those Get those deals oh, yeah. tomorrow. Deals, uh, baby. The- that <laughs> That is one of the best days of the year. That and the day after uh, Easter are so great because all the candy's on sale. Valentine's Day too, yeah. Oh yeah, yep. Some great ones. Dirt cheap candy tomorrow. That is just as fresh tomorrow as it was today. Mm, uh, yeah, fresh. Absolutely, absolutely. Shout out to Rainbow. Always glad to have them around. Uh, this one, a shout out from the two five three. They want to say shout out to Carlos Dunlap's Instagram stories. Love the attitude and enthusiasm. Go Hawks. Carlos Dunlap. 
fitting in, I think he fits in with a lot of those personalities on the Seahawks roster. And I think it, it kind of marks a a turn back to some of those classic personalities we saw over the last five or six years here in Seattle. Uh, I mean, obviously you can't replicate who Michael Bennett and, and Richard Sherman and, and Earl Thomas and, and all those guys are. But you look at Jamal Adams, Carlos Dunlap. These are guys that are not afraid to say what is on their mind, especially on social media. And Quandre Diggs, too, to, to put the, him in that group, too. I, I like the attitude that these guys bring to the Seahawks because I think it's something that's been missing uh, over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I agree. And and also that connectability with the fans, right? We love that. And Snacks Harrison, another great example of having a great social media presence. That's the the positive side of social media, right? Our connection to some of these players and some of these coaches and our way to connect with this team. And yeah, you're you're starting to see some of these personalities start to come back out. DK Metcalf starting to become, you know, who he is as both a player on and off the field. We know Russell Wilson has taken that step into, you know, MVP sort of top QB stardom levels. So, yeah, this is this is a, an exciting time to be a Seahawks fan as you connect with this new generation, quote unquote, of Seahawks. And, you know, what will they look like this year? Yes, it will be different from 2013, but you may still get some of that fun, some of that joy, some of that connection that you had with years and Seahawks teams of past. Absolutely. Some uh, some other shout outs. This one from the 406. Shout out to the election volunteers and local election staff, making sure every vote counts and defending our democracy. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, voting is one of the most important things you can do here in this country. And no matter the side of the aisle you find yourself on, it is so vitally important that you express that right that has been given to you as a U.S. citizen uh, to go out there and vote. So shout out, especially to the volunteers out there uh, and the people who are counting the ballots over the next couple of weeks, especially, you know, in a pandemic too, putting Mm -hmm. that on top of everything uh, going on over the next couple of days. Uh, shout out to those people who are, are doing the, the most important job uh, over the next couple of days here. Totally agree, Curtis. And and let's also take that as a, as a note to be kind to each other. Things are going to, you know, sort of get contentious next week. I'm assuming results yeah. aside, no matter what happens. So let's try and be kind to each other and try and treat each other with some, you know, with some dignity and some respect and some empathy and just be great citizens of the United States of America and great Washington state Washingtonians. And we can lead by example on how great we are and how we treat each other up here. So let, let's be at the forefront of how we hold ourselves uh, going forward. Yeah. Uh, shout outs this week, Taylor, who, who, who are you or, or what are you shouting out this week? Well, Curtis, you know me, I love love. So easy, easy true. shout out for Sue and Megan. Um, the Bird and Rapino family oh, becoming man. officially one. Um, so happy for them. They've had both of them in their respective sports. Such an impact. They deserve statues. That's the type of level of player they both have been. They deserve every accolade to be called Hall of Famers, to be called GOATs. All of those things they deserve. And the fact that they're together and they're ours. They're in Seattle. They're here. They, they're at the games together. They're, you know, they're at Mariners games together. You see them at Seahawks games when they have fans. That 
they're such a part of this community. I'm so thankful. I know Sue Bird had such an impact on my sister when she was growing up and a lot of young girls about, you know, what they can do and how great they can be. And I love the WNBA right now. I think it's taken so many steps forward. It's such an entertaining product and women's soccer here in the United States is the best in the world. And we are lucky to watch these women dominate year in and year out. So I'm just going to shout them out and, and shout out the fact that they're engaged and their love. And I'm excited to see what sort of impact they have in Seattle going forward. And hopefully we can be connected to that and talk about that here on Saturdays and highlight some of the great things that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You and I, we're, we're both married and can attest that it is the best thing ever being married. So shout out to Sue Bird and Megan Rapino uh, for their engagement. I imagine they're going to be walking down the aisle soon. Uh, and, and just like you said, Taylor, what they mean to the sports community here in town, uh, what they mean to women's sports on a global level, uh, to both uh, very inspiring stories of theirs and just how much they win, how much they dominate at, at their levels. I mean, uh, Megan Rapinoe, what, in the 2019 World Cup, she scored, what, four goals in, in one match? I mean, just an absolutely crazy, crazy time. Uh, that was Sue Bird, four rings, getting another one uh, just yesterday. Shout out to her. Shout out to both of them. Uh, this one, they texted in from the 253, and I'm going to piggyback off of this for my shout out. Um, they're shouting out D strange Gordon for how he demonstrated great character while in Seattle. He will be missed. Absolutely. Uh, D Gordon or D strange Gordon, as he is now known, uh, just one of the great characters and one of the great people that Seattle sports has ever seen. And it's a bummer that he won't be here any longer than he was just for the couple of seasons that he wore a Mariners uniform. Um, but all that he did in the community, all that he did in the clubhouse, all that he did in the Mariners organization, it, you know, his time here didn't go quite how everybody expected it would. Obviously on the field, they were moving him between center field and second base and shortstop. He never really had a, a position to call his own on the team. And there were a lot of expectations placed on him. And, and you know, the rebuild was put in place while he was sort of, uh, you know, in that weird position, am I a contributor? Am I sort of a, a role player here? What is my job? Um, but through it all, he managed to have the best attitude. Uh, he managed to give back in so many ways, was such a pillar in the, in the community, just one of the all-around great people that has ever worn a Seattle uniform. Uh, I can't thank him enough for all that he did in the community. And I'm a little biased, obviously, because of uh, what happened about a year and a half ago uh, where he took time out of his busy schedule uh, to just say hello to my sister. And, and, and he gave her all this equipment of his just because that's the kind of person D Gordon is. And he doesn't do any of it for attention. He doesn't do any of this for personal gain. He does it to give back to those who are, who don't have it as good as him and don't have it as good as other athletes out there. So shout out to him and for what he did here in his time in Seattle. If you missed the news this week, the Mariners declined their option on D strange Gordon, but uh, he's, he's off to another city, wherever that may be. And he's just going to uh, bless them and, and just be an incredible, uh, an incredible person, wherever it is that he goes. So shout out to him. Yeah. Major shout out to D and, Doing all that stuff, no cameras around, didn't need any attention, did it 
from the kindness of his own heart. And you want to celebrate players like that because sometimes they're not as common as you think. Yeah. They, they, it, it, it's, it, it seems so easy to, to look at athletes and be like, follow that lead. But uh, it's not as common, like you said, for, for players to be as, as giving of their time and of themselves as, as D Gordon is, but that's somebody who gets it. And, and you hope that, you know, if, if anybody was given that position, they'd, they'd do the same, but shout out to D Gordon, shout out to Sue Bird, Megan Rapino. shout out to you for, te- for texting in with us all day long here. Yes. Shout out to you for choosing to spend your Saturday morning with us here on 710 ESPN Seattle. That is going to do it for us. He is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers coming up next to the golf show with Jim Moore and Sean crew. This is Seattle sports Saturday.